You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Global News has obtained more information about the Vancouver escort who is out on bail after being charged with manslaughter and drugging and stealing from men. Romina Dea has tonight's top story. We spot the accused Jessica Kane leaving her residence at 1148. According to a court order, the escort is allowed out at noon for two hours every Friday. Ms. Kane, can I have a word with you? Excuse me? Can I talk to you about the allegations? Kane is out on $50,000 bail. She's facing 25 charges dating back to 2021 in relation to multiple alleged victims. I just want to talk to you about the allegations. Why not? These are serious charges. You don't know the background. We're talking, well, this is why I'm asking you. These are serious charges. We're talking manslaughter, allegations of drugging guys, robbing them. Global News has obtained the search warrant and corresponding documents in connection to the latest charges. The allegations, a man rented an Airbnb on House Street last month, where he met a female escort he found on Leo List. Kane allegedly pressured the man to take an unknown drug. After he refused and told her to leave, Kane allegedly forced a handful of the drug onto his face and up his nostrils. The documents go on to allege the man was rendered unconscious and was woken up the next day by Airbnb cleaning staff. Once he realized he was missing $18,000, two watches and an iPad, he called police. Court documents further allege Vancouver police tracked Kane to an apartment on Davie Street where they seized multiple items including powder and $14,000. Kane was charged again with robbery and administering an overpowering drug. She was on bail at the time. None of the allegations have been proven in court. On Monday, the court released Kane again on 16 conditions. She's back in court in Vancouver and Surrey next month. Romina Dea, Global News. A BC-wide arrest warrant has been issued for a suspect accused of assaulting a 93-year-old man in Chinatown last fall. 52-year-old Henry Paul Weens is now wanted for assault causing bodily harm. And police say he is known to frequent the downtown east side. The high-profile stranger assault caught on surveillance camera happened last October. Police say the victim, a longtime Chinatown resident, was walking near Maine and Pender when he was attacked. The elderly man suffered serious injuries. A suspicious fire in Coquitlam's River Springs neighborhood is now being investigated as arson. The fire broke out late last night in the 1900 block of Keith Place and Parkland Drive. No one was hurt, but two homes were destroyed and two others were damaged. Coquitlam RCMP say they have arrested a suspect and that the person is known to the occupants of one of the households involved. Well, we probably could have lost up to four homes. Um, fairly devastating in River Springs. We're a very tight-knit uh, community. Um, there's about 468 houses in this strata. This is the first um, large fire we've had in the 45-plus years that River Springs has been here. 
Coquitlam RCMP have released an image they hope will help find a suspect in a hit and run. At 11 p.m. on January 21st, two pedestrians were hit while crossing 6th Avenue near Dogwood Street in Coquitlam at a marked crosswalk. The suspect vehicle fled the scene. Police say this is an image of the vehicle involved, a newer model white Honda sedan or possibly SUV. The vehicle will have damage to the front end and is missing the Honda emblem from the hood. The pedestrians were taken to hospital with serious injuries. If you have any dash cam footage of the incident, you are asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. Well, it's been a deadly few weeks in BC's mountains and with the long weekend about to begin. A warning about the avalanche risk. Experts say the snowpack across much of the province remains dangerously unstable. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the caution comes from a search and rescue team dealing with its own tragic loss. In Golden, B.C., another day brings more warnings. On Thursday, five snowboarders and a skier were in an area known as Terminator 2.5, outside the boundary of Kicking Horse Ski Resort. Avalanche Canada says they triggered a slide. Two people were buried and didn't survive. Another person was partially buried and is expected to recover. It's really sad, actually, yeah. Yeah, we've also had recent tragedies in Revelstoke as well. We saw two point uh, slides that were triggered that would be scary enough if you were caught up in it. Last week, two people died in an avalanche near Tetla Lake, including a member of Central Caribou Search and Rescue. The heartbreak of having to respond to the call as well as the loss of the member has been devastating for all of us and being felt throughout the membership. So far, nine people have died in BC avalanches this winter. On January 9th, Two Nelson police officers were killed while skiing outside Caslow. On January 21st, a snowmobiler from Alberta died in a slide near Valmont. Days later, two brothers from Pennsylvania were killed while heliskiing south of Revelstoke. On February 11th, two people, including a search and rescue volunteer, died while backcountry skiing near Potato Peak south of Tatla Lake. Then there's this week's slide near Golden that killed two. The death toll is being linked to this year's unstable snowpack. This season has been uh, cold and dry and it's developed a shallower than average snowpack. And that's one of the things that's allowed uh, that layer um, to continue to be a problem. Holy. Central Caribou Search and Rescue is calling on everyone venturing outdoors to be extremely careful. We would like to urge the entire province to stay within highly safe parameters. According to BC's coroner's service, an average 22 people die in the mountains every winter. Between 2007 and 2018, 251 people lost their lives. 42% due to avalanches, 45% died while snowmobiling, 33% while skiing, and 13% were snowboarding. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, today marks five years since the disappearance of Ryan Stuka. The 20-year-old Alberta man was last seen leaving a party in Sun Peaks on February 17, 2018. Stuka's family is in Sun Peaks this weekend for the annual Run for Ryan Ski and Candlelight Walk. It's an opportunity for the community to show support for the Stuka family as they continue their search for answers. The investigation into his disappearance is ongoing. Richmond RCMP are reporting a significant decrease in hate crimes last year. 
Overall, the number of reported hate crimes or incidents dropped by 24% to 35 cases in 2022. They also report a decline in anti-Asian hate crimes in particular, which made up 61% of the cases in 2021, but last year dropped to 26. In Canada's criminal code, hate-specific offenses include advocating or promoting genocide and inciting hatred, as well as crimes committed against a person or property that are motivated by hate. A dramatic increase in sexual violence on university campuses is causing concern. The Alliance of BC Students is demanding the province get involved with funding for support centres. They say it's time to act with the upcoming budget. Richard Zisman reports. On campuses across BC, the message is being sent. There is help available if you are sexually assaulted. Students, they want to be heard. They want to have different resources to reach out. Um, they want to be believed. Across BC, 11% of female students say they've experienced sexual assault on campus. And just 42% of all students trust appropriate action would be taken if an assault is reported. This should be a safe environment for them to study and develop themselves and develop their relationships in a safe environment. The Alliance of BC Students unifying student voices by calling for the province to take action on the issue. The group asking the province to ensure a bare minimum standard for sexual violence policies. Depending what post-secondary institution you go to, you're going to be met with completely different types of care. There are campuses like this one, Camosun College in Victoria, where there are sexual resource centres. There are other campuses that don't have them. The student groups are calling for a consistency where every campus has a resource centre and those that do have proper funding. It needs to be continuous and it needs to be significantly increased to match the increase of violence and, you know, recognising that it is a crisis. According to the Alliance of Students, sexual violence on campus is the only category of crime in the province on the rise, BC currently looking to see what more can be done to make sure campuses are safe for everyone. We take this very seriously. In my ministry, we are undertaking a review of those said policies. Until then, students will continue to raise awareness one flyer at a time. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The B.C. government is providing funding to expand the midwifery program at UBC. 20 new seats will be added to the program, bringing the total intake to 48. That includes eight new seats for internationally educated midwives to become registered in B.C. starting this year. The province will provide UBC with $1.7 million in annual funding. The expansion, part of the NDP's Future Ready Plan, which aims to make post-secondary education more accessible. This additional funding will increase access to primary maternity care for British Columbians and contribute to culturally safe, trauma-informed birthing experience. Throughout the province, students will train alongside local practicing midwives, developing close bonds with people and communities that they will one day serve. BC is the only university in the province with a midwife program. Since launching it 20 years ago, more than 200 students have graduated from that program. Well, reaction is pouring into a federal government decision to shut down 15 open pen fish farms in the Discovery Islands. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on that decision. Keith, some say this was the correct call, but others not so pleased. 
lot of emotions attached to this issue, this issue on both sides of the argument, Sophie. It's a, a pretty big industry in BC, about $4.5 billion, uh, $1.2 billion annually, 4,700 jobs in the industry. But this is no surprise today. Federal Fisheries and Oceans Minister Joyce Murray simply reaffirming a decision made by her predecessor, Bernadette, Bernadette Jordan, a number of years ago. These are the Discovery Islands off the northeast coast of Vancouver Island. The problem is they're right in the middle of a key migratory wild salmon route. So, again, this had been announced before, but set aside by a judicial review. Murray making the reannouncement today. Here's her comments, along with Bob Chamberlain of the First Nations Salmon Alliance, who's very happy with what was announced today. It was clear to me that the plight of wild salmon is so dire that any additional stress on them, because they face multiple stresses, as you are probably aware, uh, that any additional stress is just not acceptable. And so that's why I did make the decision not to relicense those farms. And at the critical state that wild salmon are in right now with historic low returns to the Fraser, uh, last year it had 50% of what was being projected return. And so now's the time to make these kinds of decisions. And Minister Murray is to be applauded for her stand today for wild salmon. All right, Keith, we are hearing uh, also directly from the industry. Yes, and this is an age-old argument between the industry and the, those who oppose open net agriculture. Again, we caught up with uh, Brian Kingshead of the BC Salmon Farmers Association, who again says this is the wrong call based on the wrong science. We are very disappointed by this decision. We are very curious why the minister has ignored all the science from her own department in this, in making her decisions. Um, she claims that she has done extensive consultation, and we do not feel that way. We have heard from local First Nations that they do not feel they have been adequately consulted. So again, this issue is far from over, Sophie. The Trudeau government has made a policy to phase out all open-air fish farms by the year 2025. Uh, former BC Premier John Horgan wrote the, to the uh, federal government recently asking for a transition plan because, as I said at the top, 4,700 jobs are at stake, a lot including $1.2 billion in economic activity in many coastal small towns. Yet to hear the details of the plan from the Trudeau government. So keep an eye on this one. All right. Thanks, Keith. Frustration for cyclists who use a Moby bike share station in East Vancouver. Someone has been slashing or deflating the tires on the bikes on Commercial Street. And that's not all. The war of words that followed next on the News Hour. Disappointment for a high school basketball team. Why they've been disqualified from the playoffs later on the News Hour. Plus, Bucking up to get a coffee, and I said, there's a black bracket right there. The Vancouver Hair Salon, that's a cut above the rest, later on the News Hour tonight. Right now, though, the ongoing battle between cyclists and drivers has taken a nasty turn in East Vancouver. As Sarah McDonald reports, someone has been vandalizing bikes at a Moby station and posting a sign bragging about it. And that one. It was another morning of deflation the front tires now. for cyclists relying on catching a ride at this bike share station in East Vancouver. On Friday, once again, they were out of luck. Someone's well, out just to slash tires. I mean, it's kind of horrible to be slashing them. It appears an ongoing source of tension between cyclists and motorists at this site and others across the city. 
has escalated into a police investigation into who's slashing the tires on the bikes stationed here on Commercial Street and 20th Avenue. Anytime I've come here to get a bike, like oftentimes the tires are totally flat. And I didn't realize there was like a connection to it. And then I saw the sign saying that somebody's been slashing tires. This handwritten note left here on Thursday may provide a clue. It was a pretty aggressive letter where they were effectively saying like, uh, too bad, so sad, get a car because I'm going to keep doing this. In response to another message left one day prior, pleading with whoever's cutting the tires to cut it out. It's taking up parking space and it's so limited, so I can see why people are angry. I just moved over to this area and there is no parking. The city calls the recurring incidents at this station isolated. But the battle over street space citywide is not. The company behind the bikes, Moby, now has more than 240 stations across Vancouver, with more than 2,000 bikes and 7,000 annual members. The city contractually obligated to provide a certain amount of street space on an ongoing basis. We do recognize that there are some neighborhoods and some more specific locations where locating it just puts a little bit more challenge on the on the tensions and the trade-offs around there. I do know that they've removed the bikes that have been damaged. And with dozens of bikes now out of commission, it's unclear if they'll continue to be replaced. We need more people cycling and when you know a service like this is not dependable, then people are going to start looking for alternatives. Or if this sought after street space will eventually just sit empty. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Although it is limited to the city of Vancouver, the Moby bike share system is substantial. Along with its 7,000 annual members, Moby says it has more than 20,000 pay-as-you-go monthly users. It says more than 200,000 riders have used its services so far. Coming up, shutting down the so-called Freedom Convoy. Vindication for the federal government for invoking the Emergencies Act. And later, a record year for BC Transplant and how there's still so much need. Crews are on scene to a two-car crash here in Richmond, westbound on the east-west connector just near Westminster Highway. Traffic is backed over the Alex Fraser Bridge. Renew your ICBC Auto Plan online with BC's most trusted insurance brand. Just select BCAA as your preferred broker. Learn more at bcaa.com slash car. Interest you listening Global One, high above the east-west connector. 5 former Memphis police officers charged in Tyree Nichols' death have pleaded not guilty. The 5 men appearing in court today, they're charged with second-degree murder stemming from the beating of Nichols, whose death 3 days later stirred fresh calls for police reform. Video captured graphic images of the incident. The former officers each face 15 to 60 years in prison if convicted on second-degree murder charges. They're due back in court May 1st. Well, just as Paul Rouleau's report into the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act during the convoy protest has determined the Liberals were justified in invoking the act. When the decision was made to invoke the act on February 14, 2022, Cabinet had reasonable grounds to believe that there existed a national emergency arising from threats to the security of Canada that necessitated the taking of special temporary measures. 
When the act was invoked, the protest in Ottawa had been in its third week and other protests at border crossings in Ontario and Alberta had also popped up. Protesters were angry with the government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, including vaccine requirements. Hearings about the protest this past fall heard from 76 witnesses and 50 experts, including the Prime Minister and convoy organizers. Justice Paul Rouleau pointed to a series of failures by police and government that led to the situation spinning out of control in downtown Ottawa. Had police forces and governments better anticipated and prepared for the extent of political and social discontent exacerbated by COVID-19 pandemic, particularly in the environment of misinformation and disinformation so prevalent today, and had they collaborated more effectively, there could have been a different response to this unprecedented situation. In his report, Rouleau says he did not accept the testimony of protest organizers who said the demonstrations were lawful and peaceful. His report makes 56 recommendations aimed at improving police operations and the use of the Emergencies Act. Foreign leaders gathered in Munich, Germany today to start a multi-day security conference with the ongoing war in Ukraine taking center stage. Volodymyr Zelensky gave the opening address pleading with the world to provide more support as his country approaches the one-year point in Russia's invasion. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. We need to hurry up. Ukraine's plight dominated the opening moments of an annual summit in Germany, where foreign political and diplomatic leaders huddled to address concerns on the global security landscape. The most important effect in this case is that Putin learns that it is a miscalculation if he thinks he can just stick to this course as long as necessary. As he's done so many times before, Ukraine's president spoke via video, cautioning that a victory for Russia will result in Moscow finding a new quest to conquer. At some point, Vladimir Putin will consume all other countries that were once part of the Soviet bloc, Volodymyr Zelensky says. This meeting comes only days before the one-year anniversary of this war where Russia is reportedly planning a major escalation. That raises the stakes for the conference even higher, says Germany's defense minister. And while there are few cracks in the Western support network, experts say reservations could result in catastrophe. It's going to take a lot of time. Uh, it's going to draw out a lot of resources. This is a war that I think the West cannot uh, afford to lose. Not included in this meeting, an isolated Russian president who met with his Belarusian counterpart Friday. Vladimir Putin has not signaled a willingness to ease up. I think probably the most likely scenario, despite it all, is that we will have some form of a frozen conflict. But even amid an uncertain future in Ukraine, there are glimmers of hope. 11-year-old Veronika Krasivich has made it her goal to keep safe the most defenseless. I feel sorry for these cats, she says. I come here to feed them regularly. Facing the ultimate test, this is humanity at its purest, and yet another sign of a country that's unwilling to give up. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Still to come, the family business ahead of its time. Being a black-owned business in Canada, let alone Vancouver, is um, a very unique thing. The great growth of Vancouver's Afro Hair Studio and the big sports stars they used to style.
Also ahead, new data on COVID immunity. How much past infections can protect you? Extra busy for northbound traffic over here at the Massey Tunnel tonight as everyone avoids the problem over the Alex Fraser Bridge. The mega huge awesome event is on at London Drugs. Stretch your budget a little further on so many mega awesome things. Shop in store and online February 13th to 26th. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. It is the hottest show on TV right now, except for the news hour, of course. And HBO's The Last of Us is attracting visitors to its filming locations in Alberta. I came all the way from Brazil. The main reason is to see in real life what it's like to be in a TV show, you know, like to be part of it. The series, which tells the story of two survivors of a zombie-like apocalypse, was filmed in Calgary, Edmonton, High River, and other locations around Alberta. While shooting of the video game-inspired series in 2021 brought a first economic boom to the area, now fans of the show are spending tourist dollars to visit sites made famous by Joel and Ellie. Nearly three years into the COVID-19 pandemic, we're getting new information on the natural immunity we get after being infected and how it compares to the protection we're receiving from vaccines. Those two little lines can cause plenty of anxiety, but researchers say COVID infections are giving a good deal of protection too. Infection gives you a lot of immunity. Uh, I think that's the high level message, particularly for severe disease and death. A new U.S. study finds natural immunity is strong and long-lasting for people infected with COVID-19 at least once before, giving them up to 10 months of protection from reinfection or serious illness and lowering their risk of hospitalization and death by nearly 90 percent. This is the most comprehensive analysis yet on COVID immunity. Researchers from the University of Washington looked at 65 studies from 19 countries up until September of last year. Researchers found people with natural immunity from a pre-Omicron variant saw their protection against reinfection wear off more quickly. That protection, particularly for infection, dropped a lot for Omicron. So we're down around about 50% protection for infection. While findings showed a COVID infection gives similar immunity to a double dose of vaccine, researchers say getting a jab is still the safest way to protect yourself. So you can get immunity through infection, but it runs the risk that you're going to be one of those cases that can affect all age groups, actually, where you have a bad outcome, you end up being hospitalized, or you could even die. Researchers add COVID isn't going away and say as the virus evolves, vigilance against another variant is crucial. Tina Kraus, CBS News. Well, 2022 was a record-breaking year for organ donation in B.C. 465 transplants were performed last year from 159 deceased donors. Some of the credit is being given to changing attitudes, with more families being open to conversations about organ donation and end-of-life care. But as of December 31st, there were still more than 500 people on the waiting list for donation, and British Columbians are being urged to sign up as a donor at take2minutes.ca. Just ahead, a high school basketball controversy. And unfortunately, we're up against a situation now that we're no longer playing basketball. Why Kids High has been disqualified and how they say bureaucracy has benched the team next.
Also ahead, teamwork makes the dream work. The teenage skier visualizing victory with the help of his trusty guide. A high school basketball team in Vancouver is wondering what's next after its season was sidelined because of an administrative error. What started with one player being ineligible to play has ended with the entire team being disqualified. As Paul Johnson reports, parents and the coach are calling foul. Let the kids play! Let the kids play! This may be the last hurrah of the season for the Kitsilano High School junior boys basketball team. And it's not because of anything the boys did on or off the court. At 9.04, I got this phone call from our athletic director. said, our season's over. Coach Kenny McIntyre has been involved in basketball for decades. All sports should be about you guys. And says he's never seen anything so brutally bureaucratic as this. No compassion nor care for the kids. McIntyre says it started innocently enough. A new player had transferred to the school and joined the team. He says he was unaware of some forms that needed to be filled out for that player's eligibility. When he learned of the mistake, he tried to fix it and sat that player out. No one expected that administrators would then say the whole team is DQ'd. This was the scene in the locker room Thursday. There's a puddle of tears, of course. Judging by their sizzle reel, the Kitts High Junior boys were pretty stoked about this season. After the COVID lockdowns, this was their first year back on the court with fans. They were winning games, and the citywide tournament currently underway is at their home court. What a lifetime experience, and what a thing to have taken away. The school administration was, was not right what they're doing to the children, and the children are devastated. I don't believe that they fought for the children. I don't believe they advocated. We asked the Vancouver School Board for an interview with the officials who made the decision. They said no one was available, but in a written statement, they said they were just following the established rules. As for the families of the players, many of them say the policy here appears to be when the adults mess up, it's the kids who pay the price. In Kitsilano, Paul Johnson, Global News. All right, time to check out the long weekend weather forecast. Steph Florian is here tonight. That is a lovely full-ish moon. <laughs> Can't quite tell. Well, we started off with a dry start to our weekend, right? Tonight, we got a break, and then we are going to be seeing some showers after midnight tonight, dropping to two degrees, and those will roll into the morning and possibly the afternoon hours. We also have the snowfall warning in place. That's to the northeast. You can see that's for Pine Pass, Williston, and McGregor. We could be seeing up to 20 centimeters. That ends, though, about uh, into the early afternoon on Saturday. We are going to be seeing some snowfall. This system uh, tonight for the north coast, bringing some snowfall, and then we're going to get a break as we get into the afternoon but we are expecting some showers possibility of a little bit of light flurries even around parts of the lower mainland with our temperatures dropping and then this big rainmaker arrives Saturday night that we're going to be seeing heavy rain for the north coast and snow inland so let's take a look at your forecast we'll start uh, with the highway forecast just a few centimeters tonight and then tomorrow a few more it is going to get very gusty as well so still expecting some snowfall into your Saturday forecast and 
And then for the north coast, we are going to be getting a break tomorrow. Prince Rupert, mostly cloudy, 6 degrees. Terrace, we'll see those flurries changing to showers. Smithers, those showers in the morning hours. And the snow will end in the morning for Prince George as well as for Quinnell with a high of 3 degrees. Temperatures above seasonal for the southern uh, interior tomorrow. We are going to be seeing more cloud cover, though, around Kamloops. Revelstoke at 0. Castlegar at 6 degrees, normally around minus 8 degrees. For the islands, some drizzle for Tofino, chance of a few showers. There's some of those wet flurries expected around Port Alberni, but we're going to hit those double digits for Nanaimo uh, into your day tomorrow. So lower mainland, we'll see more rain out towards the valley. You can see those temperatures right around that 5-6 degree mark, and we are going to be seeing those temperatures take a nosedive. We've got some Arctic air rolling in next week. It's going to get very chilly, so uh, enjoy these breaks. We're going to see one Saturday afternoon, but then Tuesday, once we get through family day and all that wet weather, we have some sunshine to look forward to on Tuesday. Oh, well, let me show you the weather window. This gorgeous photo sent in by Sherry Moen of the Steveston Skies. That's our central windows weather window. There you go. And now I'm realizing that the full moon I thought I saw at the top of your forecast was a graphic. It's just a graphic. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We get some beautiful pictures as you're just like the one behind you. So, <laughs> and I need to put my glasses on. Thanks, Steph. <laughs> well, as athletes from across Canada head to PEI and New Brunswick for the Canada Winter Games, one BC athlete will be racing for the first time with other visually impaired skiers. The Okanagan's Matthew Leach lives with a genetic condition that impacts his eyesight, but that doesn't keep him from racing down the hill. Matthew competes with the assistance of his 15-year-old guide. The two communicate during races using radio headsets. And we just communicate through there with like quick one-word questions and answers. So I'll tell him when I'm going around a gate and he'll tell me what like if there's a flush or a hairpin or a delay. I think it's it's really neat because you get to experience um, a different view of skiing because when I ski raced it was just a single like just me. Right? And having being able to guide Matthew is something that I find really cool. So it'll be definitely a new experience, and I'm excited for it. The races are going to be a bit more fair. Matthew says over everything else, he has this one goal in mind, to have fun and enjoy the experience which is a very good goal, and I'm <laughs> sure he can reach that. All right, uh, Squire's off tonight. Mm -hmm. He took a day off. Well, he's phoned about 14 times, but other than of that, you know, he likes to keep an eye on of on the does. nest, <laughs> the king bird. What's happening in the nest? Well, uh, we got a little soccer to talk about. We announced it at the beginning of February, but the Whitecaps finally made it official today. They have a new goalkeeper from Japan, Yohei Takaoka. I saw uh, a lot of matches uh, in the MLS, and the atmosphere here was good. He's got some pretty good English going there already. He'll be the new number one uh, white cap goalkeeper this season as the Caps set to wrap up training camp this weekend in Palm Springs. Thank you, Barry. Also coming up tonight, Barbershop Brothers, the twins taking their parents' salon to the next level. nice to see you in person. It is to see As you in person as well. just seeing you on TV. Well, I'm the same. <laughs> Perhaps more handsome in real life, but uh, 
You can't get in. Devastatingly. Yep, devastatingly. All right. Kidding. All right. You too, Soph. Beautiful. <laughs> Uh, Canucks have the day off before hosting uh, Philadelphia tomorrow night, but it's a special hockey weekend in northern B.C. Burns Lake is hosting the BCHL Roadshow, originally scheduled for last year, but canceled due to COVID. The Prince George Spruce Kings and Salmon Arm Silverbacks will play a two-game series there this weekend. Today, the players mingled with students at local schools, and Jay Janauer has more from Burns Lake. Hadi from Burns Lake. Three years ago, the BC Hockey League kicked off its inaugural road show up in Kitimat. We were there for that puck drop, and we're here in Burns Lake as Lake Babine Nation hosts the Prince George Spruce Kings and Salmon Arm Silverbacks for a pair of league games on Saturday and Sunday. But as you're about to find out, the road show is so much more than just the on-ice action. I don't know if it'll fit. <laughs> The BC Hockey League fits into 17 cities and towns province-wide, and the goal of its roadshow is showcasing what the league, its teams, and players are all about. Hockey is one of the great binders uh, in Canada, and uh, you know we've had a lot of bad hockey stories going around recently. This is a good hockey story. We're here to inspire too. If there's some kids that come to the games this weekend and say, "Hey, hockey really is a something that I'd like to pursue, even if it's just uh, you know to to play." Uh, not to get to the NHL, then that's a good thing. Originally, the BCHL was scheduled to come to town last year, but Burns Lake, the Bulkley Nachaco District, and Lake Bebe Nation have been hit hard during the COVID pandemic, so the road show was put on hold. The last four years, you could say we've lost about uh, 90, close to 90 members. And that's why Lake Bebe Nation wanted to host the road show. New faces, new beginnings, and new life for a community deserving of a much-needed pick-me-up from players who needed Google Maps to figure out where Burns Lake is. I'm from Montpelier, Vermont, um, and this is as far north as I've been. Uh, I played in Maine last season, so um, nothing even close to this. <laughs> as far as like hockey opportunities goes, I think this is a really special event that we're putting together here, and uh, I'm just really excited to do this for this community, and I really can't wait. I think it's going to be super special. My heart is just beaming right now because I used to be a recreation coordinator, and I used to run programs, and culture programs for the kids in the community and to see their hearts and their eyes light up when sports is uh, when they're actually taking part in sports you know it's definitely a blessing ah oh, the white caps uh, season opener is coming up fast a week from tomorrow at bc place against real salt lake we reported a couple of weeks ago the caps had acquired japanese goalkeeper yohei takaoka it was finally made official today he will be counted on as the team's new number one goalkeeper we get more from asa raymond it's been a week of reveals for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Like a good HGTV renovation show, they kept us waiting until the last moment before showing off the new kits, new sponsor, and now a new keeper. I saw uh, a lot of matches uh, in the MLS, and the atmosphere uh, was good, and uh, the, the cloud and the, the players is amazing. The other highly anticipated offseason signing is Sergio Cordova. While it isn't official yet, the 25-year-old Venezuelan striker is expected to suit up for the Caps this season. Improving the attack is a major point of emphasis since they were third worst in scoring with just 40 goals in 34 regular season games last year. In case this would, get, would be done at some point very soon, um, he is. He would be in shape and ready to play immediately. 
The Whitecaps have one more tune-up match ahead of their February 25th opener against Real Salt Lake. Head coach Vanny Sartini is treating tomorrow's friendly against Minnesota like a regular season game. They haven't lost yet in Palm Springs, and the hope is that they will carry some momentum into the regular season to avoid the dreadful start they experienced in 2022. To feel that we can compete with them, and then at the end it's about the small things, to be better prepared, to work better as a group together, um, to read the, the opponent's tactics better and have a, have, a, have a better match plan for that. And that's all the things that we are working on now in the last week. Second round of the Genesis Invitational from Riviera in Los Angeles. Tiger Woods, 269 Thursday. This was his best shot today. The tee ball on the par three. It's almost went in for an ace, but it's uh, settled about a foot from the hole. Tiger made a birdie there, but he struggled late in his round. Tough conditions this morning, cold by L.A. standards. Ashley puts this one into the bunker. Instead of chipping it, he thought putting would be the better play, but it was not, obviously. But he did just make the cut at plus one, as did uh, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor also at plus one. But the lucky break of the day goes to John Rahm. Second shot, par five, drills his three-wood but well right, but off the grandstand, through the rough, and settled to three feet, which he tapped in for an eagle. He's second place at nine under. Max Homa leads. BC boys Adam Hadwin and Adam Spenson both made the cut as well and will play the weekend. But Rom's kind of feeling guilty about that, but not really. They always get the breaks, those guys. Ours, of course, would bounce into a creek. I can't even make pond. contact. <laughs> well, really? No. That's not, your, that's not your game. It's a little embarrassing. Oh, that's okay. Well, you're going to Palm Springs. I'm isn't great that, in the isn't that where they no? play? Oh, oh, yeah. That's right. 19th yeah. hole. The 19th called. hole. Exactly. Up next, a family affair with hair. All right, Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, BC Ferries has issues when it comes to staffing and fuel prices, but what's not a problem is customer demand. The publicly owned ferry company revealed today that traffic levels have hit a record high for the three months ending in December. Passenger traffic was up 10% and vehicle traffic up 3% compared to the same time the year before. At 11, we'll tell you how BC Ferries did revenue-wise. Plus, more reaction tonight to Ottawa's decision to close 15 fish farms off the B.C. coast. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. When a family from Ethiopia opened the doors to a specialty hair salon in Vancouver, they didn't know if their business would survive. Today, though, Afro Hair Studio is celebrating 25 years in operation. And much like the hair they cut, the business keeps growing. Kristen Robinson reports. Afro Hair Studio is marking 25 years in Vancouver with a second salon. Twins Jacob and Isaac Abraham continuing the family business on Granville Street in a grand opening 12 years in the making. Seeing our mom and dad working 12-hour days sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Our initial reaction was just to want to help them, and then later on it became a passion of ours. It's a big adjustment for them. Our, our entire lives, we were always under their wing. It all started on Commercial Drive in 1998, where Abraham Bearheat set up what he says was at the time only the second black hair salon in the city. There was no black hairstylist. 
After immigrating to Canada from Ethiopia, Berhi and Emmy Belai began doing all styles while specializing in textured hair. Right now, braiding all other ethnic styles has become like really big. It's not like before. Soon, Afro Hair Studio was attracting clients from across Canada, including pro athletes. We had a lot of like Vancouver Grizzlies players come in and they'd shoot hoops with us. That made us fall in love with the game. It also made us fall in love with the salon. It's home. Abraham and Annie make the place feel comfortable, warm. Beyond all that, you get a great haircut. <laughs> Success sparked expansion plans, but the dream for a second Afro hair studio was delayed in 2011. We was demoralized what happened to us like 12 years ago. Their new landlord imposed an untenable lease term on the salon, which serves everyone. He say, no white men haircut, no advertise white people, and just only black people. Prompted by a nearby barbershop tenant's concerns over competition, Berhi and his wife walked away 70000 out of pocket. A B.C. Supreme Court judge later sided with them, ruling the landlord breached the contract by demanding they not cut white men's hair. We won the case. After that, a little bit, we are tired. My kids, they never forget that. They were young at that time, but they still remember. They just keep saying, we have to open, we have to open. The Abrahams, also pro basketball players, are now the CEOs of Afro Hair Studio and a wig retail store. They're my boss, I guess. <laughs> 25 years is around the corner, but the goal is for that 50-year mark. Kristen Robinson, Global News. See, most kids don't want their mom to cut their hair, but <laughs> in this case, they can all cut each other's hair. That's true. My dad had the home barber kit, and believe me. Oh, yeah. You don't want that. Oh, I remember that. We had that, too. Yeah. They, I never let them get close to me with that one. <laughs> 50 years is a great goal. Yes, I think they can do it. I think they Half can. Already. All right, uh, Steph, final word on the weather? Yeah, so we're going to have some showers. We'll get a break tomorrow afternoon, and then we are going to have a very wet family day, but some sunshine to look forward to as we get into Tuesday and some colder temperatures as well. Love it. All right. Happy Family Day weekend, everyone. Thanks for watching. Have a good night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.